It's fine. Did you notice anything different about me today? That you're not in a robe? Yeah, that's it. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you'd get it so fast. If I could tattoo in a robe, I would. That's what I would oh, do. I know that about you. Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season two, episode 14, Paranoia. Okay, cool. We open on what appears to be two beat cops in their car, chit-chatting about being old. Computers, can you believe it? (laughs) A call comes over the radio. A silent alarm was tripped in a warehouse, and they're right nearby. So the female passenger cop answers the call and says, one sergeant responding. And then it's like, copy one sergeant. Okay, she's the fucking sergeant. Mm -hmm. So they're going to take off. And for some reason, the dude who's the driver opens the door and dumps out the rest of his hot coffee on the ground. Dude, she did that. And I don't know why. Yeah. I I thought it was him. Either way, I don't see any reason for that. I don't. I guess they don't have cup holders is what I wrote. That's what I I said. (laughs) Do you have a lid on your coffee cup? Did cop cars have cup holders in the early 2000s? We need to add speed. These cruisers are lagging. We'll get rid of the fucking cup holders, obviously. (laughs) Right. So now these two cops are in a dark warehouse with their flashlights out, scoping out whatever it is they're looking for. Pretty soon, the dude cop sees that his partner's flashlight's on the ground and she's nowhere to be seen. And he's like, Karen? Yeah, she was like right behind him. Mm -hmm. And then just gone. He hears muffled yelling on the other side of this heavy metal door in this dark ass warehouse. So she got pulled in there by somebody and she's in trouble. Mm -hmm. Her partner, the dude outside, is yelling into her as he simultaneously calls for backup. Yep. And he calls a 1013, which is like an officer in trouble or officer down type thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Benson and Stabler hear it. Stabler's fucking barfing in a trash can. It's those uh, HIV pills that are messing with his stomach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We remember from the last episode, he came into contact with. Yeah. So now where that's like a little side story. Yeah. It's like carrying over into this episode. Benson and Stabler are at the scene and they get the lowdown from some cops that are there. These two cops, Town and Bates, had found Sergeant Smythe in the stairwell with her pants down. She had been raped and a dude put a garbage bag over her head. The perp got away, but with her gun and wallet. Mm-hmm. The perp used a blunt object to choke her. Olivia comes in and she's like, oh my god, it's Karen Smythe. She trained me. Yeah. And I was like, <gasps> do This is much more personal now. Oh, my God. Sergeant Smythe was still at the scene at the bottom of the stairs when they saw her. Yeah. Because she was completely unconscious at this point. And so they were, like, waiting for the bus to come get her. Yeah. So now we're at the hospital. Stabler's talking to a bunch of the cops that were on scene. Her partner, Murray, is taking it kind of hard, obviously. He says she was behind the door for, like, 10 minutes, but it felt like an hour. Stabler wants them all down to SVU in an hour because Craig is just getting in. Stabler tells Craig that Sergeant Smythe is semi-conscious and her airway wasn't cut off for too long. So there's like no brain damage or anything. Olivia is with Sergeant Smythe in her room, but comes out to talk to Cragen. And she's like, she hasn't talked yet. Cragen's like, everybody in the whole fucking world is working on this because it's a cop. That irritates me, but that's fine. Me too. Apparently the only family Sergeant Smythe has is her ex-husband. So they're going to go notify him. And Stabler reports that the cop that she was with hasn't been much help because he's really shaken up. So he's going to have to talk to him again later. Right. Yeah. And Olivia's just going to stay with the sergeant and report if she wakes up or anything. So now we're back at the precinct. Stabler's in the bathroom washing his face. After a hard barf sesh. 
Stabro leaves the bathroom, and we head out with him to the squad room, where Cragen is going over the Sergeant Smythe case with not only the SVU, but what looks to be every fucking cop in Manhattan. Like, right. it is... Yeah. The walls are lined with cops. Yeah. So Cragen's like, we got to find this dude fast. Like, he's got a cop's gun. Munch says that they found a crowbar outside the warehouse, and they're checking to see if the rust matches what was found on Karen's throat. Toots says that they're looking into similar break-ins, but it's kind of hard because a crowbar isn't really, like... A unique form of entry. Yeah. Like, a crowbar is the tool you use when you... (laughs) break into somewhere. Cragen asked Stabler if he called in about similar rape cases like he had originally asked where the rapist put a bag over someone's head and Stabler Mm -hmm. didn't. He was like, I'll get right on that. It kind of pans into Cragen's face and you can see he's like a little worried about Stabler. He's like, uh, you didn't? (laughs) Yeah. Cragen sends everybody else out on the streets to canvas and look for possible witnesses. Munch tells Stabler he looks like shit. (laughs) Oh my god, Munch is such a piece of shit. He goes, oh, you look like the one who was strangled. Oh my god, Munch. Yeah, I know. You fucking dumbass. I I heard Jennifer Coolidge's voice in my head when I typed (laughs) out. (laughs) Dumbass. You fucking dumbass. (laughs) I'm taking the dog. Cragen has just pulled Stabler into mm. his office with him because he's like, we need to talk, Annie. Mm-hmm. Stabler's like, why? So Cra- they go into Cragen's office and because Stabler made one slip up, Cragen tells him that he needs to go home and get some rest because the anti-HIV meds are fucking with him. And Stabler's like, a cop was just raped and almost strangled to death. I'm going to be here. Mm-hmm. Cragen tells him he really wants him to go home and get some rest. Stabler asks him, is that an order? So these two are always pulling their dicks out with each other. Yeah, I know. It's like, I really care about you. And it's like, but I really care about my job, but I care about you. So Cragen says it isn't an order yet. Yeah, basically, Stabler's like, hey, do you just trust me to come to you if it becomes like an actual problem? And like Cragen, it like kind of reluctantly is like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And I'm like, haven't you learned that Stabler's ego won't allow that? Stabler would never be like, I don't think I can handle this. Right. But he's like, okay, fine. We're just going to keep volleying this fucking thing until I let you stay here. I've never begged anyone at any job that hard to stay at my job. No. They're like, go home. I'm like, I don't need a reason. Bye. (laughs) You were already on the other side of the door when they were like, go home. (laughs) (laughs) So Munch and Toots are talking to the various cops getting their side. The two cops that found her, Town and fucking... It's Bates, right? Bates Motel? Bates. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. That'll make me remember it, actually. Great. So they didn't see the perp. They were more concerned with Sergeant Smythe. They work in the area, and it was like a shit show, so it's hard to pick out anyone who would be suspicious. Stabler's asking her partner questions, and he was like, oh my god, it was so dark, and then all of a sudden she was gone. I saw her flashlight, her noises, the door was locked. I called for backup, and the other two cops... Bates and Town were there in a few minutes and opened the door from the other side. They said they were about 10 blocks away getting food, like on a, a meal break. But when they got the 1013, they fucking booked over. Yeah. And the guy's like, you know, when you hear that and it's a cop in trouble, you drop everything. And I'm like, it would be nice if you dropped everything in the same situation with like a civilian person. Right. Dump the coffee out. <laughs> Hurry. The guy's like, no, I have a couple. He's like, do it. <laughs> so Olivia is still in Karen's hospital room and she's like, sitting sleeping in a chair really cute with a little freaking trench coat over her or whatever and she wakes up to see karen sergeant Smythe awake and she's staring at her so she's been up for a bit her throat sounds a little scratchy olivia promises that they're going to get this guy this sergeant Smythe also is a very serious dramatic actor she's also in csi miami er she does like hardcore serious drama roles oh i didn't know i looked into her because she was really good at being dramatic yeah but In this scene, this is where we get a glimpse into Sergeant Smythe and Olivia's relationship. 
yeah, they do this little like back and forth reminiscent thing mm-hmm. about Olivia being a rookie and like hazing her and stuff. Yeah, and you, you know. can tell the sergeant's happy to see her and happy to have her there. Sergeant Smythe says that she froze or disassociated, which is totally normal, Olivia says. She remembers being in the warehouse and someone grabbing her by the throat and putting something over her head and dragged her, threw her down and raped her. The guy never said a word and choked her with something hard. And the next thing she knows she's awake and Olivia sitting there in the hospital with her. Mm-hmm. So the rape kit isn't back yet. There's no suspects. And she's like, dude, don't babysit me. Fucking get going. Yeah. Olivia's like, cool. And after this whole like rundown and the way that the sergeant spoke, I was like, she's kind of like a lady Cragen in this way. Like you can tell she has yeah. a parental vibe and she's gentle and firm at the same time. Mm-hmm. So we're back at the precinct. Stabler says he's feeling a little bit better. He got a little bit of sleep up in the crib, which I'm assuming is like the cop's sleeping area. I double taked really hard when he's like, yeah, I caught a few hours up in the crib and i'm like what <laughs> what's that nelly <laughs> what? i know i start i immediately started thinking of mtv cribs and if that's where they got that from or like what? that's why uh-huh. i said nelly i hope nobody thinks that like i think that that's a timely reference <laughs> no uh- <laughs> i also was thinking of the show cribs So thematically throughout this episode, they just keep hitting the, like, ratting on each other thing. Mm -hmm. So he kind of asks her now if she ratted on him for barfing to Kragen. And she's like, yeah, I talked to him. You were right there. Clearly, Stabler is in and out with these meds. Um, But Kragen and Benson both still think he's capable of doing his job. So Right. Oh, my God. So then Stabler's like, hey, have you been in the squad room yet? And she's like, no. And he's like, well, hold your nose. And then when they go in the squad room, there's a bunch of people experiencing homelessness in the squad room being interviewed and like all the detectives are being fucking like real dicks about it like how they smell and stuff mm-hmm. just generally being assholes to them so you guys are so fucking dramatic i know and they're saying it like loud too like oh i'm sick of the smell you know what i mean it's like why don't you fucking get some them some food like why don't you <laughs> shut up so those two cops Bates in town bring in a dude handcuffed. He has Sergeant Smythe's ID on him. So he was sleeping a block from the warehouse and the dude swears he found her ID in a dumpster. And then at least they agreed to like give him some food because he was like, do you have any food? And they're like, well, see what we can scrounge up. Stabler gets off the phone. He found out that last week a Queens woman was raped and nearly choked to death in a warehouse. The perp broke in to the warehouse using a crowbar and put a bag over her head. So I'm like, is there a serial rapist that we're looking for? Mm-hmm. Same exact story as the sergeant. Mm -hmm. So now they've got a repeat offender and a lead. Right. So Munch and Toots are at the apartment of Marina Garza, the other Vic. And she Mm -hmm. tells them that she was attacked while working at her job in a warehouse. Everything Mm -hmm. she says lines up with the sergeant's story. She was attacked from behind with a bag over her head. He didn't speak at all, raped her, and that's all she remembered before waking up in the hospital. Also, the perp took a gold cross necklace that she had around her neck. Well, there's just the point where Toots was like, did he take anything from you? And it like pans back at her face and you're like, um, yeah, he did. But like also this necklace. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like super weird. She like almost... Almost corrected him, but she's like, this isn't worth my time. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he took a necklace. Back in the precinct, Cragen tells Munch and Toots that they can rule out the dude who had the sergeant's ID because he had an alibi. Mm-hmm. And they haven't gotten anything back from the lab yet. And At this point, I'm wondering if Stabler did get a phone call but then forgot. Because Stabler's like, yeah, we didn't hear from the lab yet. That's weird. Mm-hmm. And Cragen's like, you need to go hard at them and make them get their shit back to us because this rape kit in particular is important. Did you notice that, like, Toots said that the dude's alibi was he was drinking with three friends, a.k.a. Backstreet Bunkies? <laughs> Like he was drinking mad dogs with a couple of backstreet bunkies. (laughs) (laughs) 
So Cragen also tells Munch and Toots to go through old cases of the sergeants, and Toots like, what are we looking for? And Cragen's like, anyone with a grudge. So they have a lot of shit to try and go through. Yeah. When Cragen was like, looking to her past, I was almost like, excuse me, what? If this is going to be a weird, like, sex thing. But then Jeffries pops in and she's like, not again. Not this time. So now Benson and Stabler are in the lab with a busy and annoyed lab lady named Felicia. Mm -hmm. They're pressing her hard to prioritize this particular case. And she's like, I have dead people and shit. Like, I have a lot going on here. She can only process so much. And this is where we take a moment to remind people about End the Backlog. Go to endthebacklog.org to learn more about the backlog, contacting your elected officials, supporting the cause, and taking action. Because there are a shit ton of rape kits that just sit on the shelf Mm -hmm. because sexual assault isn't taken seriously. Yeah. Yep. Correct. Thank you for saying that. Because that was was like when I was watching that, that like popped in my head. I was like, yeah, it's just like, here we go. This lady is busy as shit, Mm -hmm. but she's like, take a number. The fucking precinct has a tank, probably. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Hire her a goddamn assistant. Women don't matter. Rape victims don't matter. Right. So Stabler threatens to go over her head, which does nothing. Mm -hmm. But Olivia uses sugar instead. And Felicia lets them know that the kid tested positive for spermicide, but negative for semen because there was a condom used. She did find a hair with a follicle intact, though. And she's like, find me a suspect and I'll match it. Mm -hmm. Then it's like kind of weird because she says she'd be in trouble if anyone knew she told them about the rape kit results. And I'm like, what? Outside Stabler and Benson both have questions. Marks floating over their heads. Yeah. Like he squinched his eyes at Olivia like so hard after she said that. When he was like, see, was that so hard? She's like, if they find out I told you about the rape kid, I'm in I'm in enough trouble. And they were just like, What does that mean? Yeah, like, what do you mean? Why would you be in trouble for doing your job? So they're like, what's being covered up here? Yeah. So then they decide to go back to the warehouse to take another look around. Benson and Stabler get to the warehouse to find that the crime scene has been completely cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Then they go on to talk to the star of the show. I don't mm-hmm. know if this guy is supposed to be a supervisor or in charge of something or just like a, an employee who was present. But we come up on him and he must be mid phone conversation because he's sitting on a couch next to a payphone with the receiver held to his chest. He's got the voice and accent of Goodwill Hunting Ben Affleck, but looks like Dunkin' Donuts meme Ben Affleck. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, I love that you were so happy with that joke. You went like this. <laughs> like you licked your you licked your lips because you were like that was oh good. when i thought of it when i was i was like oh, oh me oh gabe <laughs> this is for you gabe <laughs> okay so i transcribed this conversation here we go here's one second what? my note literally just says talking to some dude with his guts hanging out holding a payphone <laughs> Oh, okay, go ahead. <laughs> he goes, they were in here this morning. Who? Two cops and windbreakers said they had to finish collecting evidence. Don't you guys talk to each other? They tell you what unit they were from? Why would I need to know that? Someone ran a hose in there. Yeah, I delegated it to one of my numerous employees. Me. Did you ask these cops if that was okay? It was their idea. Olivia looks at Stabes like, what the f- fuck partner yeah i just wanted to tell everybody that like for you to get into character with this tasha like threw her arm over the back of her chair <laughs> to like a real good lounge in yeah um you wound up hard for that lounge i did it was good right now to me you're just a fat guy on a couch mm. <laughs> holding this payphone you transported me just in a fucking dingy ass man tank <laughs> I refuse to call it a wife beater anymore. Okay. Yeah. Good. I don't like it. 
Yeah. I don't like how cavalier we are with throwing around the term wife beater. Yeah. Like I literally think of that term as an article of clothing and that's not cool. Yeah. You know? Me too. And yeah. it's stereotypical because there are women who are abused that don't ha- live in the, in the picture that's painted of what an abuse, uh, abusive husband looks like. Right. It's yeah. just, yeah. That's just me being a bleeding heart, sensitive ass, left wing fucking libtard. Libtard. Oh, God. Oh, words matter. Yeah, motherfucker. Yeah, that's what language is. It's <laughs> it's the easiest thing to do, to do different. It's the easiest fucking thing. It is literally the least you can do. It is the least. If you want to do the least... Do that. Yeah. Sorry, I'm yelling at you. <laughs> no, I get it. it it's, yeah. Um, it's, no energy. No energy. It's, oh, fuck. You don't, yeah. Benson and Stabler are back at the squad room. Some fracking dudes are going through Stabler and Benson's desks. What the hell? It's Lieutenant's coats. And pants. Coats. <laughs> coats and sweater with internal affairs. <laughs> uh, coats and pants. <laughs> One of these dudes was in season one as a homicide detective, and I know because it's the guy who played Nurse Jackie's husband, okay? Now, I was like, I wonder if he got transferred, but they, like, don't know him here, and they're giving him shit. So, I think he's just like, okay, now I'm just a different guy, like they do in SVU. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll say they do that a lot, yeah. Yeah. They want to ask Spencer and Sailor some questions in Kragen's office, and I, at this point, I was like, why? What is happening? Kragen's like, sure, why not? Uh, my desk is unlocked if you need anything. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> That's the ha I make when I type it out. They ask Benson and Stabler if all their paperwork for their cases in the last month are up to date. Benson's like, yeah, duh, we know how to do our jobs. And he's like, well, we want all of them by the end of the day. And Stabler, like, he's like, is this about the Sergeant Smythe case? The lab holdup? The crime scene cleanup? And they just say, thanks for your cooperation and leave. Oh, my God. So we're at the fucking diner. Benson, Stabler, Toots, and Darkwing fucking Duck are trying to figure this out. He looks He's never looked more like Darkwing Duck in my entire life. I said Munch has his sunglasses on indoors because he hates attention. Yeah. <laughs> Internal Affairs investigates crooked cops. Munch calls them the KBG of NYPD, covering for other higher-ups and, like, ratting out fellow cops. Mm-hmm. Olivia says there's, like, 40,000 cops on the job, and there's bound to be a few bad apples. And then I'm just like, don't even get me fucking started on that shit. I'm not going to go off. Toot suggests that maybe Sergeant Karen is under investigation. Olivia doesn't think so, and it's like, you can tell she's, like, pretty irritated. It's even a suggestion. Ooh, she snaps, and she's like, Karen Smythe wouldn't take a cup of coffee. And her tone yeah. was like, you don't know what you're talking about. Right, and so Toots was like, cool. I understand that tone, and I am not going to respond to it. Benson and Stabler take off to drop off the files to IAB. Munch and Toots do a classic little walk and talk. <laughs> I feel like Munch is going to take him to a pile of gold coins he has somewhere. <laughs> I didn't even write That's that down. That's Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> Doesn't matter. They're all ducks. You're like, he's just a duck at this point. Dude, their family reunion, everyone's there. He's like, have you met my nephews, Huey, Dewey, and Louie? <laughs> Toot says that IAB sniffing around is... This is my girlfriend, him. Daisy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he stops wearing pants to the precinct. <laughs> God, is like dicks hanging out. They're like, you are not a duck. <laughs> He's got, like, white gloves on. <laughs> white gloves. <laughs> okay. We're like, we're just going to get through this. <laughs> we're like, ducks. <laughs> Cartoon ducks, you guys. Am I right? 
So as Munch and Toots leave the diner together, Toots brings up to Munch that he found some shit out, but after Benson snapped at him, he didn't feel comfortable going into any more detail at the table. Toots says that IAB sniffing around is really giving him the creeps. And Munch says that even if people are innocent, just an inquiry from IAB sticks with you. Toot says, because he had looked into Smythe's past. Anyways, her husband, her and her husband got a divorce a while back because the husband almost drove her to bankruptcy with his gambling. Gambling. Also, the divorce cost her like 70 fucking grand. So it could mean something, but it could be nothing. But Toots wants to check it out anyway. So these two are going to go talk to Sergeant Smythe's ex-husband. Mm-hmm. So they're at the Triborough, Triborough. Munch and Toots are at the Triborough break. <laughs> I knew it was going to be hard for me. Thank you. Munch and Toots are at the Triborough Bakery. Whew. Um, they're talking to the husband while he's working. Todd, is that his name? Todd Smythe. Todd Smythe. That sounds made up, but it's his name. Yeah. So he says that they don't talk often, but she had called him to tell him what had happened. Oh, wait, I have a fun fact about this guy. What? So this actor is Isaiah Whitlock Jr., and he has played 10 different characters in Law & Order, SVU, and Criminal Intent. They have Whoa. used this guy a bunch. Holy shit. I know. Hmm. So he seems happy that she was okay. Um, he said that they were married for 12 years and that the honeymoon lasted 10. Of course, Munch is like, it's hard being married to a cop. And he's like, it's hard being married to me. Yeah. It's like, good. Own your shit. That's good. Thank you, know, thank you for that. Yeah. So he's in Gamblers Anonymous and he says he's clean. Munch points out that he's borrowing money to pay off debt and forgetting to pay it back. So they're like, actually, are you? And he's like, well. Yeah. Toots asks him if he's borrowing money from anyone who doesn't have a license to lend. Turns out he's borrowing from a loan shark a hundred fucking thousand dollars. He says his balance is zero. 50k on his own and 50k from an anonymous donor and they're like, bullshit. Yeah. They're like, that's not how it happens yeah anonymous donor he's like dude i went and met the loan shark yesterday to make a payment and found out it was paid off it's like yeah. that's all he you know he's like i don't know he's not pounding on my door anymore so someone paid it mm-hmm. and this is when i'm like holy shit twist city who paid the debt are we being led to believe that karen smite the sergeant who was brutally and terribly attacked is stealing money from where evidence is she on the take dirty cop stuff Mm-hmm. Munch and Toots have to go talk to the loan shark. The loan shark goes by the name Uncle Sammy in Chinatown, which, Tasha, I know you want to do this, don't you? I didn't, like, hard do this guy, but oh, okay. we do, we come up on Uncle Sammy. He's on the street. He's wearing a very I-do-bookie-shit-on-the-street kind of jacket. Mm-hmm, like a leather, you know? yeah. But other than that, he just looks like an older guy who might go to my parents' church or something. <laughs> I didn't really have strong feelings about him. <laughs> Yeah, he didn't look like what I thought he was going to look like for some reason. I agree. There should have been a fur jacket, and I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Just do something. Yeah, he was like this close to a members only jacket. Like yeah. The, do you know what I mean when I talk yeah. about like it was like a it was a leather jacket, but it had let me gear up to fucking talk about this guy's stupid <laughs> coat for forty five minutes. It was a black leather jacket, but it was like my dad would wear it. it yeah. It, it had it had um. Where it's it's like the elastic was like bunched in at the bottom, that's so what, it was yeah. like bubbly a little bit at the bottom. Yep. Which is exactly. very middle-aged guy leather jacket. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Big pockets. Like, B- puffy yeah, at the bottom. Yeah, big pockets. He, I know he had matching leather gloves in the pockets, mm-hmm. right? I'm sure. Along with a big old wad of cash. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we get some classic SVU pushing by the cops, pushed back by the dude. They take turns doing that for a while. And they threaten Rikers for loan sharking, threaten to take his little black book and whatever else. Yeah, they just, like, go through his pockets. <laughs> yeah. It's bizarre. Um, finally, they tell him that Smythe's debt was paid off by his ex-wife. What? Yeah. And they're done with him. 
Mm-hmm. See, I didn't spend a lot of time with this guy. I no, was it's like, fine. we've already met the star of the show. He's back at the warehouse. <laughs> I wonder if he ever got back on the phone and who he was talking to. His they mom, hung up probably. long before he was done. He's just, they're like, he held the payphone receiver to his chest for the full conversation. I'll call you back. Maybe he was on hold. Maybe he was on like a radio talk show on hold. He was trying to win tickets to something. What song would he have requested? Oh, um, this guy's like the biggest Ariana Grande fan. <sighs> Probably some fucking bullshit ACDC or something. Munch and Toots are back at the precinct. They're giving Craig in the lowdown. Craig wants to know how Karen came up with a better part of a year's salary to pay off her ex's debts. So Olivia and Stabler walk in and they tell Olivia and she's fucking like shocked. She's like, what? Karen? She wouldn't. Yeah. So now Olivia is at Sergeant Smythe's apartment. Remember, Karen is Sergeant Smythe. So if we bounce back at all, it is Sergeant Karen Smythe. Yeah. I thought this was weird because I was like, is Olivia supposed to be doing this? I was thinking that she was like telling her stuff that maybe Karen shouldn't know yet. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't. She was just kind of interviewing. Right. Um, She's like talking to her about the details. Karen denies that she paid off her ex's debts and says she doesn't have to prove anything to Olivia. And I was like, whoa. She gets defensive right off the bat. She's like, I can't believe you think I'd be on the take. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. So Olivia's like, dude, where did you get the money? And she's like, none of this has to do with you, Olivia. And back off. And Olivia's like, I'm doing what you taught me. My job. Oh, my God. And then now Karen says she wasn't raped. She's like, I wasn't. Second Olivia jaw drop. Yeah. She's like, I remember what happened now. Um, I actually wasn't raped. And she's like looking off in the distance. And she's like, well, I had sex with an old boyfriend before I went on duty. And that's why they found spermicide. And she doesn't want to give the guy's name because he's married. And Olivia's like, we both know that we have to eliminate him as a suspect. So, like, give me his name. But this is like this whole big long conversation of yeah. her giving like one piece of information to Olivia and Olivia painting her into a corner a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know that you taught Olivia really well, so like you're not going to get one over on her. Like why even try? So but Olivia doesn't believe that story at all. She doesn't believe of the boyfriend and the mm-hmm. that the rape didn't happen and all that. She's like, what the fuck are you doing? And she's like, who got to you? Who are you covering for? Yeah, Karen's like, if you want to fucking help, let it go. Mm-hmm. Olivia says she's going to go talk to her internal affairs and see what they have to say. And fucking Karen kicks her out. Yeah, she's like, get out. So Olivia and Craig are doing a walk and talk. Olivia's like, without her, we don't have a fucking rape case. Mm-hmm. So obviously she's recanting her story because she's fucking scared. And so someone is bothering her. But like, who? Right. And Olivia looked into it even more, and there are Mm -hmm. no loans, no cash advances, no 50 grand coming out of anywhere. Yeah, Craigan's like, I'm going to go talk to Chief of Departments. He's a homie of mine. Mm-hmm. We're in the squad room. Sailor's on the phone with the doctor trying to figure out his test results for HIV. But the person on the phone won't read the results over the phone because I guess a doctor's supposed to do it. And Stabler's like super annoyed. He's like, just fucking read it out loud <laughs> to me, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and this is like the longest phone conversation on SVU that's possibly ever happened. Right. And we find out nothing. Yeah. There's no information given. Munch straight up walks over and stands at Stabler's desk while he's on the phone and like stares at him. <laughs> he's like totally eavesdropping just like annoyingly just so munchingly waiting for him to get off the phone so he can be like what's going on in your life what's happening do i have a clever quip for it look at my dick (laughs) look at my dick did you notice i'm not wearing pants and you want to cry into one of my oversized gloves (laughs) so then stabler's like forced to be like yeah, I was on the phone with the doctor. They won't read results over the phone. That's literally it. He literally just came over to see what he was on the phone talking about. Yeah, <laughs> like mind your fucking nothing. business, lunch. Yeah. 
So now we're at one police plaza. Cragen is talking to the chief of departments on the street. And I see this guy's coat and I want to announce category is law enforcement <laughs> extravaganza. The collar, the shoulders. It's a gold star studded for the gods, honey. Michelle Visage is fucking gagged. He's also eating a gigantic soft pretzel. Cragen's like, why is IAB fucking with my detectives? And the chief deflects. Cragen asks if IAB is fucking with Smythe. The chief takes this weird little bite of his pretzel. <laughs> Did you it's, see he's this? He's like holding it like pizza. Okay, so he takes a, a tiny, tiny bite of this giant soft pretzel. Nobody nibbles a soft pretzel. Those are, you have to get like a full mouthful. Yeah. Takes a tiny bite of his pretzel, wipes the corner of his mouth with his napkin, and then goes... <laughs> Oh my god, I didn't hear I didn't see that or hear it. I'll find the timestamp and I'll send it to you and I'll post it too because it was so great and I giggled so fucking hard. He got like one little of those like big grains of salt and just like savored it. Like, but it was it was three little <laughs> But he's like all pissed off and he's like mm, mouth wipe and then he calls Craig and paranoid. <laughs> And he's like, uh, you're Vic Recant and you're blaming IAB? Cragen goes, I ran a corruption task force. I know when a cop is being fed her lines. Karen Smythe is being made to look like a wrong cop. Mm-hmm. Chief brings up the bad look of her gambling addict husband and paying off loan sharks. And Cragen's like, why wasn't she fired then? And the chief kind of throws a side eye. And I'm like, what are they talking about? Yeah. Then he leaves and goes crab fishing in the Bering Strait. <laughs> 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 You tell me about your... Because Gabe texted me and was like, we have to talk about this fucking guy. And she goes, I have so much on the chief of departments. And I'm like, me too. Yeah. I wrote, Craig is talking to a pilot or Captain fucking Ahab. (laughs) Get it? Get it? Oh my God. (laughs) I mean, he literally was wearing every single article of clothing that was ever given to him. Like, from the police (laughs) task. Like... What was he doing? Was he at like a ceremony and then came out to fucking gently nibble on this pretzel? Like what? It was, was like the- a yeah. It was it was like like a cop duster. Yeah, everything. Bedazzled. He bedazzled it himself. Yeah, it was oh. just so bizarre. I just pictured him bringing it to the runway and the judges just like praising his creativity, his sparkle. You have to add those extra touches. Rue's like, is that a pretzel? <laughs> 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 All right, so Kragen and Cabot are doing a walk and talk. Kragen knows there's evidence of rape, even though Karen recanted. And with his three decades of cop instinct, he smells this as a cover-up. Kragen mm-hmm. thinks internal affairs is forcing Karen to recant. Cabot wants to know why the police department would suppress a crime against one of their own. Right. So Kragen, he's like, dude, I need your fucking juice, man. I need your juice. Figure this out. Cabot agrees to talk to the victim, a.k.a. Karen. A.k.a. Sergeant Smythe. So Cabot goes down to the laundry room of Karen Smythe's apartment that was so weird it was bizarre she's just like doing her laundry because she just wants to catch her and talk to her she's like your neighbor told me you were down here and i'll be like wait for me at the top of the stairs also why is my neighbor keeping tabs on me and knows that i'm down in the laundry room yeah karen's not into it one fucking bit my favorite though is that she's got the dryer door open so you see like the circle door with the glass yeah and cabot is standing on the other side so that it looks like she's looking into like a ship portal yeah they were really trying some like funky camera work cabot first tries to press her with doing the right thing yeah because karen's like the right thing it's right for who and when that doesn't work she goes lawyer 
Cabot on her and says, okay, then you filed a false police report by claiming you weren't raped and then recanted. Burp. The mm-hmm. sergeant doesn't bite. She tells Cabot that it's a lose-lose for her either way. So she's like, fuck you. Do whatever you want. I'm leaving. Right. Walks out to fold her fucking knits. <laughs> So I love how fucking Munch and Toots just fuck with Uncle Sammy. Like, yeah, Uncle Sammy's walking out of a hair salon. He like immediately starts touching his hair, too, which I was like, just leave it. He walks out and does a double. Yeah. Like on the sides of his hair. We're like, I love that you are satisfied with your service. (laughs) But Munch and Toots are waiting for him. They arrest him for loan sharking and lying. They start hauling him away in cuffs. They're like, dude, who really paid off Karen's ex's loans? The arresting him is just a tactic. So he'll tell them. Yeah. He's like, okay, but if I tell you I need protection from these two cops, I'm assuming they're the same fucking cops that are cleaning the crime scene at phone guy's place. Mm -hmm. They made him forgive Karen's ex's loans and shut up or they put him away for 25 years. Right. He said they were in suits and trench coats. Sounds like the two lieutenants that were going through Benson and Stabler's desks. The IAB dudes. Mm -hmm. And then a bunch of dudes are like, okay, bye. Just like, let him go. Got them all like scared to get arrested. And then. So now they're framing the sergeant. I just continue to go, what the fuck is happening? Season two is fucking wild Twist city central yeah there's no straight crime nothing simple anymore they didn't think the they SBU. were going to be making it past season one so they got season two and they're like let's just throw all the ideas in because we probably won't make it past season two we're gonna go fucking nuts here yeah okay the iab made him lie to the cops and tell them that it was the sergeant so you're <laughs> framing another cop mm-hmm. what is happening yeah the iab dudes walk into cabot's office and they are all attitude yeah like you're gonna have us arrest for obstruction they're both holding like the warrants that were issued to them yeah and i'm like look out for cabot's huge ass nuts dudes yeah okay you clearly haven't interacted with them before yeah don't even try to take her pickle okay okay no (laughs) shit also craigan's there yeah cabot like stands up and she's i love this she was like Mm -hmm. you need to adjust your tone yeah and then they tell her to adjust her attitude and then i was like ooh, and she's like (laughs) no 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 No, 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 no. And they're like, so you're going to fucking arrest us? And she's like, fuck yeah. Unless you want to tell me why Karen Smythe changed her story. Give us all your case files and notes and no arrest. Okay. And they're like, you're bluffing. And she's like, fucking try me, dicks. Mm -hmm. So these dudes say there's a year long undercover investigation that's going to get blown. Craig and Cabot aren't going to let it go. Covering up a rape to save your investigation is a fucking crime. Okay, you need to tell us what's up. Nurse Jackie's husband looks cornered and he just goes, not without our lawyers. So they agree to go into the SVU precinct the following morning. Mm -hmm. I would not sleep if I knew I was going to get the tea on whatever this shit is. I know. They were like, okay, I'll tell you everything in the morning. I'd be like, oh, my God, tell me now. (laughs) Yeah. They also were like, do do you think that the fucking DA doesn't know what we're doing here, counselor? Like, everything's going on at once. It's nuts. Yeah. Cabot's like, we're not above the law. I'll subpoena anyone I fucking want. Yeah. And then he pulled that, like, pretty woman thing. He was like, big mistake. I know. I was waiting for him to go huge. I wish. And then, like, Stabler had, like, a a box (laughs) with a necklace in it. And he was like, ah. That's okay. um, not only your impression of Julia Roberts and Pretty Woman, but also your impression of a dolphin. <laughs> it's true. <sighs> so Benson both and Stabler are in teeth. the precinct. Hmm? <laughs> he said they both have big teeth. Whatever. <laughs> Dolphins don't have teeth. Are you? Is that a real Wait, thing that you're saying? Teeth. They have tiny, pointy teeth. <laughs> bigger than bigger than ours. <laughs> bigger, bigger than ours. <laughs> Dolphins don't have teeth. 
<laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> cartoon dolphin are, don't have teeth. These are okay. Pretty, Benson and St- I know on, they do. On. You don't have to goog it. I, know, I get it. They're pretty big. They're bigger than my 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 teeth. Look. Yeah, but their heads are also like. I mean, compared. Oh, you're talking about proportionate. Okay. Well. Yes. Proportionally, dolphins have like smallish teeth, right? Who their teeth cares? would fit in my mouth. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> How many teeth? How many of your teeth? Can you, can you garlic ranch blast me now? <laughs> what? <laughs> There's a garlic ranch party in my mouth. <laughs> what are you talking about? So, so when I said that their teeth could fit in my mouth, my brain like heard the way I said mouth and went right to the sketch with Melissa McCarthy in it from SNL where she's doing the like focus group on the new oh, flavor yeah. of ranch dressing from Hidden, Hidden Valley. Valley. Yeah. <laughs> like, Can you garlic ranch blast me now? <laughs> she's ranch all oh, over the phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, can you hear me now, but for garlic ranch blast? (laughs) Oh my god, it took me a minute to remember that. Because none of it connected. (laughs) You garlic ranch blast. Okay, okay, I no. can do this. Okay. <laughs> Benson and Stabler are in the precinct. Ooh, Sergeant Smythe is there to spank them. She has no more motherly anecdotes for Benson. She basically threatens her and says that she'll file a formal complaint and is like, OMG, why are you so obsessed with me? Just like that singer who filed a restraining order when you wouldn't leave her kid alone. And Benson's like, uh? Mm-hmm. Third jaw drop. How do you know about that? Craig mm-hmm. then steps up and says, um, hey girl, did I just hear you tell my detectives to ignore a case that I put them on? She looks right at Craig and says, you have your orders, so I guess you can tell them that. She <sighs> leaves. Turns out, Craig just got a call from the tippity top that they're off the case entirely. The whole precinct. Don't fucking touch it anymore. None of them know how Smythe knows all of this information, though. None yeah. of us know what's going on. None yeah. of us. Me, you, Craigan, Benson, Stabler, fucking Uncle Sammy. Darkwing Duck, Toots. That guy on the phone, <laughs> he's waiting for answers. And then he's like, oh, wait, this is just a bottle of ranch. And he hates <laughs> Don't. Can you, can you re- blast me now? Now the whole crew is in Craigan's office, mushing their brains together. The IAB isn't framing her. They're protecting her. But why? Maybe someone around her is being investigated. Craigan says that they're going to go back and peel back every last detail, no matter how small. He's like, it's right in front of us. We're just mm-hmm. not seeing it. So then we cut to Stabler creeping into a cop car. He's looking for some shit. He finds a cigarette butt. Then this cop comes up and he's like, uh, can I help you? And Stabler shows him his bad and he's like, hey, I was working Karen Smythe's case and she thinks she left her pocketbook in the car. The guy's like, yeah, wrong car. And Stabler's like, oh, what? It's crazy. Oh, never mind. You're giving this cop too much credit because the cop that came up was the dopiest dope and he's like, oh yeah, this isn't her car. Her car's over there. <laughs> he's like, points... <laughs> 
He just throws a bottle at a ranch at the car. He's like, <laughs> that one. And Stabler's like, oh, uh, he's pretending to pay attention. He's like, what car? And he's like, over there. And he points again. <laughs> but we see as Stabler's getting out of the car, he has this like itty bitty tiny little meth slash evidence baggie that he has a cigarette butt in. Mm-hmm. So he's looking for DNA. Mm-hmm. Cut to Munch and Toots. They're in the precinct. Buck and Toots used to date some chick in communications and got recordings of the... Radio dispatch. Yeah. Cut to Craig and Olivia. She's like, how the fuck does Karen know about the restraining order? Like, how does she have access to it? Munch pops in and suggests maybe Karen write it in Olivia's IAB file. You know, the one where they keep every infraction on file that someone maybe ratted on her about. I skipped the Munch stuff because he was like, oh, like the debunked Red Squad. And I was like, I don't look up what that is because I was gonna, I was like, maybe I'll do a chaser on that. So I looked it up and I read about it and I'm like, oh, Munch, you're so fucking, nobody wants to hear about that. Yeah. So anyway, it had to do with communism. Okay, keep going. Toots listened to the tape for maybe 12 seconds while that was happening and he's like, I think I found something. (laughs) He's like, I've got all the information, guys. Two seconds after her partner, Murray, made the call, those two cops, Town and Bates, called so that they were responding. 24 seconds later, they were there. But at the very beginning of this episode, they said that they were getting food in their, like, the area that they normally are in, 10 blocks away. How did they get there so fast? Because they were already there. (gasps) Stabler gets off the phone. Half-second phone call. Half-second phone call. The DNA on the cigarette butt he found in the radio car matches the hair from the rape kit. What the fuck? Everybody fucking get him. Go get him, guys. Go on, get. Fucking pull-up time. Gang's all here. They pull Town and Bates over in their squad car. Everyone pops out pulls all their guns. They're in front of the precinct. They're in yeah. front of, not the SVU precinct, but the other cop precinct. Yeah, and then Bates is like, Mikey, they got guns out! <laughs> I hated him. I just hated him. Oh yeah, he was the fucking worst. Yeah. Toots tells Bates to like, he's like, dude, get on the ground. But Bates is being a bitch. Bates starts kind of reaching for his gun and he's like, I don't see any badges. I just see four pieces of crap with guns. Mm. Fucking Toots straight up puts his gun in Bates' face and he's like, I have no problem shooting you. Yeah, and then Munch backs him up and says, six pallbearers or twelve jurors, your choice. Woo! Mm-hmm. Partners! Partners! Pantsless partners. Darkwing duck. <laughs> All the time, Munch is just like, Toots, take your pants off! <laughs> Toots is like, we are people! We're human guys with dicks! No! That's why Toots took a picture that one time, because he was like, I want to remember when Munch used to always wear clothes. <laughs> so then the detectives cuff the cops, and Bates is like, don't say a word, Mikey. Gay. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So then Benson and Stabler head inside to get Murray. Who? Oh, yeah. The driver cop's name is Murray. As the detectives walk up the stairs to the door, the IAB cops walk out with Murray cuffed, saying they're arresting him because he confessed to his part in the rape. Nurse Jackie's husband's like, we arrest crooked cops, not you. Mm -hmm. Benson says that they skipped the morning meeting where they were getting spanked for obstruction. Nurse Jackie's husband again tells them, those were dropped. Go check with your friend at the DA's office, unless she's been fired already. Mm -hmm. Murphy's not being charged with rape, though. He's being charged with money laundering and on drug charges. Oh, shit. (laughs) My says money laundering and rug running. (laughs) Cute. (laughs) 
<laughs> so Cabot rolls up on these dudes lawyers or fucking IAB lawyer and she's like what the fuck dude and this guy's like you don't have the fucking power to okay the arrest of two cops and she's like the hell I don't evidence is airtight that's where I get the power from is the evidence mm-hmm. this guy insists that his case takes precedent this guy stands up and he's like look Nikki Farnsworth is the biggest drug lord in Harlem they couldn't nail him until he found out Bates and Town and Murray had been guarding his shipments so this is the first time we're hearing about Nikki Farnsworth he's a drug guy this investigation has been going on apparently for the last year and a half. Cabot's like, this still doesn't give you the right to blow over and try and suppress evidence in a fucking rape investigation. Because they were. They were trying to they were trying to get the lab to not say anything and give them the results. Right. She's like, but why does Smythe have to take one for the companies so these dudes can be charged with this? And then I'm like, can't they get charged with both? I didn't right. understand that. And this dude's like, I don't have to answer to you. Yeah. And he's like, it was all the stuff was like need to know. And you were on the list of people who needed to know. So three fucking cops set up their own sergeant to be raped and murdered, although they didn't follow through with the murder. And even though Karen recanted the rape, there's enough evidence and Officer Murray's testimony to be plenty to convince the jury. But dude says Murray won't be testifying for her. They gave him immunity in exchange for his testimony against Bates, Town, and Farnsworth. Mm-hmm. And then Cabot's like, you son of a bitch. And I'm like, I don't get it. What do you mean? Because the way she responds is like, that's fucked up. You're a piece of shit. I've got Bates and Towns and I won't be giving them up. If you want them, you can go talk to the DA. And I'm like, why can't they be charged with the drug running and the rape? Why are these things? Well, like why it's like I I have them and they won't do this and da, 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 and they're like fighting against each other. I you think know? because they because like, you know how at the end she's like they don't want her to testify because then she's going to be exposed. And then she's by the end, like, I do get it. Oh, OK. But at this point, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. And how are you expecting her to drop it if she doesn't know how it... Yeah. The whole, like, second half of the episode, you're like, wait, is Sergeant Smythe getting fucked over or is she being protected for some reason? You know? It turns out it's both. Yeah. Yeah. Cabin and Craig are at Rikers Island talking to Officer Murray. His lawyer reiterates that he won't be testifying about any rape. Murray tells her what happened. Bates and Towns came to him saying that Karen was onto them and their drug protection shit. And they had to shut her up. They found out she was onto them because a buddy of town saw Karen talking to a known member of the quote rat squad and Bates made the plan. So Murray freelanced with them for a thousand bucks each time and they were like why did they rape her? He said that Bates said he raped her because he did it to break her. She had to be broken which is just fucking. And no I don't believe you because then you were also going to kill her. So you're just a fucked up twisted motherfucker because Mm -hmm. If your intention was to break her, then there also wouldn't be a plan to kill her. Right. Um, He had heard about the garbage bag rape guy in Queens and used that MO as like a copycat distraction to get the police not focused on them. Mm -hmm. So they broke in and tripped the alarm. And all Murray had to do was park the car close enough to the warehouse so him and Karen were the first to respond. Like they were going to fucking kill her. You know, it's so fucked. So now we're with Benson and Stabler talking to Bates and his lawyer and Ugh. Bates is still being a total cock. Mm-hmm. Staves is like, what's it feel like to be an errand boy to some guy who sells dope to school kids? I loved mm-hmm. Stabler's tone this entire fucking mm-hmm. conversation. It was a, just a fucking swing moment for me. Oh, so... Oh, boy, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody hand me the ranch. Ooh. Um, ooh. Stop. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I've never made that noise in my life, and I didn't. And the like shoulders it. and the hands at the same time. Honkity <laughs> 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 honk honk. 
<laughs> so he's like, you want Smythe out of the way. Bates won't talk and says Smythe won't either. Stabes bluffs and says that Smythe is already talking to the DA. This dummy cop responds like he knows nothing about interrogation tactics. And he's like, fine, I'll tell you everything. <laughs> yeah, he's like, fine. We go down for rape because she testifies and everyone finds out that she's a rat. Why do you think she recanted? She's a rat without a spine. And Stabler is even whisperier. And he's mm-hmm. like... You rape a fellow cop? Look at you, tough guy. You're a real man, aren't you? Couldn't even face a woman when you was raping her, huh? You had to take her from behind in the dark? Yeah, make it feel like a real man, Aaron boy? This is Bates' response. I know. I heard... <laughs> he was like, that is what that is what he did. We're not like yeah, making no. a joke and exaggerating. I wrote, like, him and Stabler fucking... get into it, and the guy goes, like 80 times. He went... So Benson goes to see Sergeant Smythe at her apartment. Sergeant Smythe is back to her less defensive, motherly self. And Benson goes, you could have told me. Benson tells her it was Bates and asks how she found out about the drug running. Sergeant Smythe said she overheard a phone call that Murray was on and eventually figured it out. Benson thinks that the sergeant just took that to the IAB because she wanted to do the right thing. Turns out, Sergeant Smythe is a field associate. These are cops that undercover work with IAB to sniff out shitty cops. They usually, like, grab them when they're in the academy. Yeah, these are the ones that all the other cops hate. So this is Olivia's final jaw drop this episode, and she also looks quietly disgusted. I know. So if you're following the law and policing legally, you should have no issue with that, Benson. Well, and she says, Olivia's like, oh, they convinced you. And she was like, it didn't take convincing. She's like, I love my job. And when there are three cops running drugs, all cops lose the trust of the people they protect. And I was like, fuck yes. Yeah. Thank so you. I, I just have the tiniest little, tiniest little. I wrote it out so that I wouldn't go off track. I hate all of this shit. I hate this cop culture shit. It's a soapbox, but I'm also trying to stay focused on the actual subject of what we're talking about. Checks and balances are important in every branch of government. All of us believe that, right? Mm-hmm. They're woven to the fabric of what we claim to make ourselves a successful democracy. So they must apply to our law enforcement as well. Correct? Mm -hmm. Right? With that logic? I mean, duh. Stop this culture of unregulated policing based on a false narrative of individual integrity. Right. That is not every fucking cop. Just because you got yourself a badge and a gun doesn't mean that you hold the personal integrity that it takes to not be policed yourself. Right. That's the end. Well, I know. Well, and then the whole culture with back the blue or the blue brotherhood, the good cops that, you know, want to report bad cops who are doing terrible things and they have this power to like do all these terrible things and get away with it. They can't because they get, they can get fucking killed. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like by other cops. All right. Yeah. Anyway. IB came to Karen when she was in the hospital and they asked her to recant the rape because if it went to trial, she would have to testify and be exposed as a field associate. Benson tells her that the DA is indicting Bates in town for rape and she's like, oh shit. Like, well, and they also said that if these dudes were tried for the drug running, she wouldn't have to say that. Mm-hmm. So she's like, well, perfect. Uh, yeah. They're still going to get in trouble for their shit. So I'm going to recant. Yeah. And if Bates and Towns are indicted for rape, that's going to make Karen a, a target. Benson goes, they raped you, Karen. And the sergeant looks at her and goes, and I have to live with that. 
Mm-hmm. So Benson's finally like, okay, on her side. Yeah. So Cabot and Olivia are walking and Olivia like really wants her to drop the charges. Cabot really doesn't want to, but a drug charge puts town and Bates away a lot longer than a rape charge, which is fucked. Super fucked. I know. I just said, what? I hate everything. I know. Karen will, will be victimized all over again if this happens. Pretty much like lose this job she loves and could possibly get murdered. You know, she would have to go yeah. into like hiding. I mean, people say it all the time. Like, if you're not doing anything wrong, then why are you worried about the cops pulling you over if you're not doing anything wrong? Well, if you're a cop and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, why are you worried if there's somebody who's reporting back to the fucking internal affairs? Like, mm-hmm. same fucking logic. Okay. Yep. Sorry. I know. We're not doing that. Sorry. That's go okay. ahead. Uh, so Benson shows up to where Stabler is having breakfast. He's like, what, are you following me? <laughs> We're partners. We do this. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Stabes is lo- looking and feeling much better. He's like, oh, it feels so good to eat like a normal human. Turns out his test result came back and he's total clean bill of health. No HIV, no anything. Yeah. And then they cheers Benson with a glass of water, which is bad luck. And Stabler with a thimble of orange juice. Wait, what's bad luck? Cheersing with, with water. I did not know that. Do not do that. It's bad luck. I do that all the time. Maybe that's why my life is terrible. <laughs> Maybe my life is the way it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you notice the amount of orange juice Stabler had? Yeah, he had like a little like... like we had a huge orange juice budget in season one. <laughs> not so much anymore. We had to put our resources elsewhere. And he's got this tiny cup. It's for kindergartners. Yeah. It's for a preschool class's snack time. Mm-hmm. It is not for an adult man eating a full fucking moons over my hammy at a fucking <laughs> diner, you know? Yeah. It was this big. It's tiny. And then you put it back in his pocket. "Mm." He actually, it was so tiny, he took a drink and then accidentally swallowed it. And then Tinkerbell came up and she's like, where did my boat go? (laughs) Clap three times if you want to find my boat. Oh, God. All right, that's it. That's it. That's the end of the episode. We're going to try and stay on track as best we can. I think we did good in the episode. Yeah, I think we did I think we did okay. This chaser filled me with rage and it was just like one layer after the other after the other. I could have just kept going. Mm -hmm. My chaser today is about Monica Blake. Okay. Monica Blake became a police officer to help victims of crime in Nashville, Tennessee. She began her career in 2004. She served as a patrol officer, took part in undercover operations, and eventually became the school resource officer at McKissack Middle School. At one point in her professional career, she started dating Officer Julian Pirtle, who was also working as a school resource officer. They dated off and on for a number of years. On the night of May 2nd, 2016, (gasps) the day before for my birthday. Oh. Blake, who was 36 at this point, was at her home when Pirtle showed up to her house drunk and violently raped her. <gasps> Two days after the attack, some reports said seven days, so I don't have full clarity on that, but the, it doesn't matter. So this just says two days after the attack, fucking Pirtle shows up at McKissack Middle School to Blake's office to talk to her. And at some point, I think he like went to leave and she chased him out into the parking lot with a a hidden recording device on her and recorded this conversation because I have the transcript of it. Okay. Wait, so he fucking went to her house and violently raped her and then went to her fucking work? Yeah. What? Like he assaulted her. What the fuck? Right. Pirtle said, I was so fucking drunk. Blake says, you were drunk? And the look in your eyes, Pirtle said, what did you see? Blake says, what did I see? It looked like you wanted to kill me. I have never felt that before. Then she goes, did you know for two days that I could not swallow? Did you know 
what you were doing? And he goes, I didn't. I think you understand that there are moments of intense rage. It's like, why do you think they call me the Hulk? Oh she goes, God. I don't know, but that doesn't give you the right to put your hands on me. And he goes, they don't call me Bruce Banner for no reason. It's oh my not God, an excuse. Shut up. Shut up, guy. Yeah. Nobody gives, oh my God, I fucking hate. Oh. Yeah. I'm so strong. That means I like can rape you. Like, I duh. can't control myself. Yeah. So oh after she had recorded this conversation, Blake reported the attack to the MNPD, but didn't report that she had also been raped until May 23rd. Mm -hmm. So she waited a couple weeks to go forward with that. And who knows where her mind was that like if she if she fully wrapped her head around that it was a rape until then or or what? I don't even we care. Don't, like it doesn't matter. It doesn't we don't matter. Know. Like, you know what? The fact that you even did it is fucking like good for you it came into question of course a lot like does. why would she report this assault and then not report a rape too is she just tacking this on and whatever so the day after her initial report Pertle was charged with aggravated domestic assault and decommissioned that's not fired it's like a temporary position you have to get a psych evaluation or whatever Wait, she was no he was decommissioned oh, oh, okay um so i'm just explaining that 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 doesn't mean that he was fired it just means that they took his badge and his gun and he had to like get a psych evaluation and whatever. Okay. Also, a temporary order of protection was filed. After Blake reported the rape, that charge was also added. After Blake reported her fellow officer excuse me, her rapist, she began having issues at work. She'd already had some issues prior to that with this specific commander, but things really started going hard after this. Commander Janet Marlene Pardue was Blake's boss and for some reason started giving her a super hard time. She inexplicably moved Blake from morning to evening shifts. After this, Blake submitted a hardship request and asked to be assigned to a different detail because of her trauma and what she was dealing with. She also had kids, a daughter, and twin boys, so the shift she was assigned didn't work for her. Pardue yeah. moved her back to mornings, but wouldn't convenience Blake in any way. For example, instead of letting her start her shift an hour later, she made Blake use her vacation time every single day so Blake was able to get her kids to school. This had never been an issue before, so this is when Blake started to see she was being fucked with. Mm -hmm. Then on June 8th, it's legit only been like a month since the attack, Pertle violated the order of protection and texted Blake. Blake reported it and then got a random comment for being an outstanding officer for her excellent work on a particular domestic violence case. Throughout all of this, Monica Blake has an incredible record. Yeah. She has an exemplary record as a police officer and what she was contributing to the community. So Blake gets this commendation. Okay. So then on June 15th, a week after this commendation, Pardue decommissioned Blake. She had to turn in her gun, her radio and her badge. She did go back to work later in the summer after a psyche eval. Okay. So by October, Pardue was nailing Blake every chance she could get disciplinary investigations, one of which she'd been exonerated for prior, one for not taking her utility belt off before getting in her car like she was nitpicking everything she did she's watching her like a hawk to fuck with her yeah up until this point blake had only gotten a handful of minor disciplinary infractions her entire career which remember had started in 2004 and this is 2016 by this point yeah she had very high performance reviews again her entire career on october 17th without giving a reason or providing a process to dispute it pardue quote indefinitely restricted blake from any secondary employment privileges pardue also apparently told 
Pirtle's defense attorney in December of 2017 that she would be, quote, willing to testify on behalf of Pirtle by alleging that Officer Blake is a dishonest person. Oh, my God. She was going to be a character witness to build the case that she was lying about her rape. I know that, like, internal misogyny is a fucking thing and stuff, but it's like, A, fuck that guy for raping her, but it's also, I'm like, fuck this fucking other woman. Yeah. You know what I mean? Obviously, she already had an issue with her, but then made it her fucking job to fuck with her livelihood and her mental health, for that matter. Yeah. Pirtle's defense, because that audio made it to court, okay, in in court. Pirtle said that he was talking dirty to her in that parking lot conversation that she had recorded. And he also fully denied attacking and raping Blake. Okay, well, she has the audio recording of him being like, I'm the honk. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Shit. Don't also, like when he was being held, his bond was lowered from $75,000 to $5,000, which if we go back to when we talked about Dog the Bounty Hunter, that means he only had to pay 500 bucks to be released. Okay. Kathy Moranti, director of MNPD's office, of professional accountability at the time was caught sharing confidential case information about an open investigation with Pirtle's defense lawyer, which needless to say is corrupt behavior. And you have the word accountability in your job title, Mm. Kathy. When this violation was reported, the complaint was, quote, investigated by Deputy Chief Hager. Mm -hmm. And he said that Kathy Maranti's violation was a policy flaw and she was never sanctioned for her actions. Like, corrupt illegal shit and uh, when it goes to the appropriate places everybody just shrugs and brushes it off yeah dude and this happened over and over and over Perto pled guilty to aggravated assault and his deal said that if he pled guilty to aggravated assault they would drop the rape charge Mm -hmm. this is the portion of the show where gabe guesses what his sentence was oh my god um he either had like six months in jail or he was on like house arrest for like three months he was given three years probation and ordered to stay away from Blake. He wouldn't be on the sex offender registry. What? And the charge would be expunged from his record after the three years. Oh my God, I want to throw something, but I need all this stuff. I see you looking around, (laughs) like frantically. Shit continued to be difficult for Blake at work as she attempted to use the proper channels for her issues. After going to HR, she was temporarily assigned to the North Precinct. Okay, so a series of events led to the climax of the problems she faced in this job. Hold on, does this guy get get his job back or anything? This is where it kind of ends with him. Mm-hmm. Monica Blake had said something about like he has the ability to get his job back. He was never like fired. Right. You know, so on January 19th, Blake and her attorney went to the West Precinct for a settlement hearing on the two disciplinary investigations that had been thrown at her. Remember when Pardue was like, mm, you took your belt off or you, you know, you didn't take your belt off or whatever. She showed up unarmed and out of uniform. This triggered a lieutenant to ask why. And she said it was to minimize the chances of escalating the conflict with Commander Pardue. I guess they're always supposed to be suited up or something. Like, I was reading the reports and I'm sure there's some sort of policy. Like that guy with the pretzel? He's just like, I'm just going to wear every single cop thing I've ever gotten. I can't remember exactly what I was supposed to wear, so I just wore everything I got on opening day. Wait, what it would be called? Opening day. (laughs) Fucking first day of school. Orientation. There you go. So this lieutenant said that she had to formally address it via a written supplement of her concerns to HR. So again, every time that Monica Blake is told you have to use these channels, that's what she does. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Then on February 12th, she had a meeting with Pardue, which Blake again came unarmed and out of uniform. Pardue, this time, asked her why she showed up like this, to which Blake responded, quote, I have explained in detail why I'm not comfortable being armed at this point around you particularly. Okay, so I heard this and I took it as I'm attempting to do the right thing and avoid pissing you off or making things go off. And I've explained myself a million times in every form and I'm still getting shit. So I'm annoyed. And did Pardue go be like, she doesn't want to be armed around me because she's going to shoot me. Pardue took this as a threat. So she reported it to Deputy Chief Brian Johnson. The same day that Pardue filed the report, Deputy Chief BJ immediately decommissioned Blake. Then the next day, Pardue filed an incident report calling it assault by intimidation. So Blake has to have another psych eval and goes back to work on April 13th. At this point, she was drilled with complaints filed against her. One was for a Facebook post on March 26th, which stated that a community oversight board would help relations between the police and the public. She was in support of a community oversight board and she got a reprimand for it. This whole thing, all of the stuff like with the Facebook post and everything else, it lends itself to the type of officer Monica Blake was attempting to be Mm -hmm. and just being stopped at every turn. Right. After being raped and assaulted. Yeah. By another cop, by a shitty cop. Oh my God, I can't. can't. So Pardue was giving her shit long before she was attacked, like I had said before. I'm guessing the way Blake conducted herself didn't fall in line with the blue code, obviously. Yeah. One of the assertions of this code is that officers don't report on another officer's misconduct. And unfortunately, Blake reporting being raped by a fellow officer put a negative spotlight on her. Okay. That is the most fucked up sentence. That's the most fucked up thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. I, uh, I can't. After Blake reported the attack, she racked up 41 suspensions in a little over a year. So finally, Blake filed a lawsuit. The lawsuit not only detailed how Blake was mistreated after her rape, but how she was treated and reprimanded for not towing the blue line. In it, she also accused Pardue of being, quote, personally hostile to African-Americans who raise the issue of racism in America, especially if they raise it in the context of the criminal justice system. Uh Uh-huh. All right. So Blake has this lawsuit after her career has been destroyed. Her civil liberties have been taken from her, not to mention the injustice of the three years probation for trash pile who violently attacked her. Okay. Mm -hmm. In an interview with ABC News, Blake told them that she had filed the lawsuit after exhausting, quote, every possible way to try and resolve the conflict, Mm -hmm. which is all on paper. Yeah. And then she went on to say, quote, but because of the culture of the police department at every turn, either the complaints fell on deaf ears or inadequate investigations would occur or they would not include me in the investigation at all. I -hmm. hope this lawsuit will hold the people who have done wrong accountable for their actions. We can't call ourselves the guardians of Nashville and not stand up in every situation. Fuck yeah, dude. She had such a strong case that the MNPD settled pretty quickly to the tune of $150,000. The lawsuit also included a restraining order for Blake against the MNPD. Part of her settlement also included resigning as a police officer. Mm. So they got what they wanted her, which is her her out of their hair, right? Yeah. So instead, she's made it her mission to help others in similar situations to hers. She started working with Silent No Longer Tennessee. So I looked into who they are, and they're a Tennessee-based grassroots organization dedicated to changing the toxic culture in Nashville's police department. Mm. And since Blake left, 39 other officers have come forward with stories of sexual assault, discrimination, and misconduct that they were otherwise afraid to bring up for fear of reprisal. Mm-hmm. This is what we're fucking talking about, dude. Yeah. The more I read, the more I was like, you know what the problem is? Men. 
men. Oh, really? Is it? <laughs> Gee, I never thought of that. <laughs> Gabe, oh. I figured it out. <laughs> the toxicity of like of the, the city the of the city. <laughs> No. <laughs> Sorry. I why am I apologizing for that? That was funny. Go ahead. The stronghold that white men, and I'm not talking about like white individual men standing, it's just like a whole fucking interwoven cultural fabric that influences everything and it seeps mm-hmm. into everyone's fucking brains and some people can't even see it that that's what's influencing everything. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm not blowing anybody's mind here. I know that. Yeah, I know. It's like, I, so like not all men. And you're like, yeah, we know not all men. I'm going to hard, hard right. So Abby's over the other day and she goes. <laughs> Abby was <laughs> like, what? <laughs> no, I just thought of it because I said something that made me go. Is that the right word? So we were talking about like being English nerds and like, you know, being like, that's not the correct. And Abby goes, I have to say something. You've used the word asterisk on the podcast a couple of times. And I'm like, I say asterisk. Yeah. Asterisk. Yeah. I say asterisk. And I'm like, I know that's wrong. Like asterisk instead of asterisk. Asterisk. Oh, you said asterisk. No, I say asterisk. I put the S at the end. Oh, yeah. SK. Okay. See, yeah. nobody knows. It's asterisk. Asterisk. This yeah. is some asterisky business. <laughs> but yeah, so I kind of felt like a, a dumbass because that does really bother me. Let's wrap it up. Let's go. All right. Well, that's it then. Well, fuck that guy. Follow us and stuff. Follow us on all socials at SVU Pod. That's right. Email us at SVUPod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook group. Hashtag little bit loud to find some homegrown little baby pods wrap and swaddling so there's this podcast called fuck my work life (laughs) and they're hashtagging a little bit loud so people write in and tell them fucked up stories from their jobs oh dude that's i'm gonna i would like that i love that shit yeah yeah. they are a small podcast and they're not even fucking true crime or anything i think that's fucking great because we want everybody Thanks for participating, guys. Yeah. Yeah. I think... uh... Oh, rate and review us. Oh, yeah. Rate and review us. Give us five stars. Okay. Next week, we are doing season two, episode 15, Countdown. Benson and Stabler rush to find an abducted girl when clues (gasps) point to a serial murderer and rapist who kills his victims on the third day. Whoa. Oh, my God. I feel like I remember this one. This is my my kind of shit. Okay. I don't know why. I didn't mean it like that. I don't know. Okay. Well... Well, I'm glad we did that, but I also I know, hate the it. rest of my day is just going to be kind of a bummer. Mm, sorry. I'm not. You know what you're here for. Yeah. All right. All right. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Except for, I don't remember, except for, is that how I say except for? Maybe 15 years if we keep this at a good clip. <laughs> I won't be alive that long, please. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I know. I just realized I was laughing at you being gone forever. Don't die. Fine. A sigh. I don't want. I want to see a baby crowning. I don't want to see that shit. It makes me like lightheaded. All medical stuff does. And I know. Oh, it's so natural. I, yeah, I get it. I know it's the most natural oh, no, thing no, no, ever. But gross. to me, to me, it's like the most alien thing. I'm like, oh my god, your body's not supposed to do that. I mean, it is. Your but it's vagina like just... gets this fucking big, dude. I don't. Don't even make. And a then circle. a person comes out and has their own consciousness. It's fucking bananas. It is. They're just like, dude, I'm a person. Yeah, I'm a person. I could. Fuck up the world. The second I get out, I'm dying. Like, so (laughs) fucked. This is the beginning of my slow death. Maybe. Could be fast.
<laughs> like, what the fuck? Thanks, Mom and Dad. <laughs> Ooh, here I go. No longer safe. This world is a dangerous place, and I'm going to join it. <laughs> if I get old enough to have kids, they're going to slowly die, too. Teach me things as fact, even though you're not sure yourself. And I will perpetuate this. And what's the point? Again, I'm dying. <laughs> it's fucked up. Happy okay. birthday. None of this matters. Um, <laughs> One more year to death. One more day. So we're, we're in Craig. Where are we? <laughs> okay. We're okay. I can't imagine having that many gaps because you guys look dirty right now. Those are Dick David High School. <laughs> that many gaps. <laughs> I liked in the episode sometimes when I can hear them like running and you're like, John's like, it's relatable. I'm like, nobody respects me or cares about what I'm doing. And things need to be different, and people need to be treated like people, okay. and... Okay. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I 